Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, hey, welcome back. I'm Chris. I'm a pastor at Compass. As always, I'm really glad that you've joined me today. Now, I want to start today with a quick question, okay? Here it is. Do you believe that alien life exists in our universe? If you do, just put your hand up. Now, you'll notice that my hand is up, although maybe not for the same reasons that yours are up. So here's the thing. I believe that when you consider the vastness of the universe, that life in some form has to exist somewhere out there. Now, it could be a microscopic bacteria on an asteroid or a non-carbon-based moss under a rock on a distant planet in some distant galaxy, but I totally believe in the possibility of alien life. Now, you may have raised your hand that you believe alien life exists, but your reasoning and your ideas of what that looks like could be totally different than mine. You may think that UFO evidence that we have is proof that an alien race has actually visited our world from another planet. I mean, something happened at Area 51, right? Or maybe you believe that aliens have been secretly living among us for years, manipulating events and even prompting evolutionary change here on Earth. You may believe big picture alien stuff. Now, I think it's amazing how believing that alien life exists can elicit so many different variants of belief on what that means. Uh, From a belief as simple as thinking that microbes may exist on other planets, to a full-on belief that aliens currently exist among us, are manipulating our world systems for their own ends, and that probably our current president is in fact one of them. One simple belief that alien life exists can somehow expand into multiple, even contradictory beliefs. Now, what if I ask this question? Do you believe in God? I think we'd find the same thing, that a large percentage of people would say yes, but their explanations of how and what God is like would be radically different. I mean, even in a setting like a church setting like this, where many of us are united under the principles of Christianity, I think we would even here find some surprisingly different beliefs about what it means that God exists. And that highlights something that we're going to talk about today, that not all belief is equal. So we're in a series where we're talking about how black and white thinking, our desire for things to be black and white, put into boxes, how that affects our relationship with God, how it drives us to think that we have to believe everything or that we can't believe anything. Now, last week we talked about cynicism or the idea that when Jesus conflicts with parts of our worldview, that the only answer for us is to not believe anything about him, to believe nothing and to to ultimately reject him. But today we're going to talk about the all part of all or nothing thinking, and that is our tendency to find ways to believe anything and everything, and our desire to make all belief equal. And so as we continue through Matthew, we're going to look at Matthew 14, verse 1 through 2. It says, when Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about Jesus, he said to his advisors, This must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That is why he can do such miracles. 
Okay, so that's a little bit in a vacuum. Let me give you some quick background on this, okay? So Herod Antipas was the ruler of Galilee, which was the region that Jesus was from and where a large part of his ministry was happening. Now, we're going to talk more about Herod Antipas in this actual story in the coming weeks, but Herod had imprisoned and killed John the Baptist because John had been basically publicly criticizing him. Now, there's a lot in that story. Again, we're going to get to it. But in spite of the fact that Herod had John the Baptist beheaded, he still thought that John was a powerful holy man. And when Herod heard about Jesus, about the miracles, uh, and about the people who were following him, he saw these similarities between Jesus and John. And that freaked him out because the only conclusion that Herod could land on was that Jesus must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. Now, on the surface, this is just stupid. I mean, first of all, Jesus and John were the same age. I mean, they were cousins. As we know from the story we looked at last week, Jesus grew up in Nazareth and people knew him and knew his family. I mean, he didn't just appear out of the mist. And while the people we talked about last week, they saw Jesus's miracles and they didn't believe in him, Herod heard about Jesus's miracles and he did believe in him. Herod believed that Jesus had miraculous power, but Herod also believed that Jesus was John the Baptist raised from the dead, like some vengeful ghost to punish Herod for killing him. Herod believed in Jesus but he believed something that had nothing to do with who Jesus was or who he claimed to be. Herod's preconceptions shaped his belief about Jesus rather than Jesus' own words and actions shaping Herod's belief. In short, Herod fit belief in Jesus into his pre-existing worldview. So think about it this way. When I was a kid, I had this book called uh, about Abraham Lincoln, and it was called The Value of Respect. Now, I read this book over and over. I loved it. And, and the value of respect shaped what I believed about Abraham Lincoln. But what if the first book I read about Lincoln as a kid wasn't the value of respect? What if my first exposure to our 16th president was the book Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter? I mean, sure, it's a fictional account of Lincoln's life where he's fighting the undead with his axe. But I mean, look at it. It's got Lincoln on the cover. His name is in the title. I mean, it looks and sounds official. It's even presented as Lincoln's secret journal that was discovered 140 years after his death. So what if this was the story I had read about Abraham Lincoln that shaped my preconceptions about him? In that case, if someone asked the room if we thought that Lincoln was a great man, many of us would raise our hands saying, yeah, he was a great man. And when asked to explain why, I mean, some people would say it's because he eventually freed the slaves. Some would say it's because he held the nation together during the Civil War. And when it was my turn, I would say, I think that Abraham Lincoln was a great man because he fought the conspiracy of the undead who were hiding in the Confederacy, and he stopped those bloodsuckers by killing them with his axe. Now, that's crazy, right, to believe that Abraham Lincoln killed vampires, but when it comes to matters of faith and religion, people will believe all kinds of things that fit their preconceptions. Let me just show you another example of this, similar, similar to the story of Herod from the first century. And we see it here in Acts chapter 14, verse 8 through 10. 
In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He'd been that way from birth and he had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. And Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and he began to walk. So already in this story, we can see in Paul, these echoes of Jesus. We see echoes of Jesus in what Paul was teaching and in the miracles that Paul did, similar to what Jesus did. But look what happens as the story continues. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bowls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Now, this is a wild story because here we have Paul and Barnabas, and, and Paul had been telling the people in Lystra about Jesus. He'd been teaching them that Jesus is God, that Jesus has come to set them free. In fact, when Paul was teaching about Jesus was exactly when he paused to heal the man who couldn't walk. And you would think in that context that the people would connect this miraculous healing to the Jesus Paul had been talking about. It is a sign that what Paul was saying about Jesus was true, but they didn't. You see, Lystra had a temple to the Greek god Zeus right outside the city. And the people of Lystra were raised to believe certain things about the gods. And even though Paul was presenting them with a new and different view of God through Jesus, even doing a miracle to back up what he was teaching, the people still couldn't break out of their preconceptions about religion. And instead of wrestling with who Jesus was, they instead fit him into their template of who God is supposed to be. And in a crazy ironic twist, they begin to worship Paul and Barnabas as gods. Story continues in verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. But even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. I mean, this is wild. Because even when Paul tried to point the crowds to God, saying that, guys, we're just human. You're missing our point. We're telling you about Jesus. The crowd still believed what they believed. And it's the same kind of belief that Herod had. It was a belief based in their preconceptions rather than a belief in experience. A belief that tried to make sense of Jesus by fitting him into what they already thought about God. And the crowds believing that they were worshiping God correctly, they were totally missing what Paul and Barnabas were actually explaining to them about God. But the big problem in, in a belief without experience it isn't just that we unintentionally believe some wrong things about Jesus along with the right things we believe about Jesus. I mean, look at how this story ends. Then some Jews from Antioch and Iconium, they came and they won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. 
So last week we talked about how the cynicism and the refusal of the people of Nazareth to believe in Jesus, it caused them to try and kill Jesus. And here we see the belief of the people of Lystra, but it's belief without experience. It caused them to do the same thing. They believed in the miraculous power of God that they'd seen Paul display. But when it didn't fit within their preconceptions of who God is and how he's supposed to work in the world, they tried to kill Paul. It was the same type of incomplete belief that Herod had. Because Herod believed that Jesus had supernatural power. Enough that he thought that Jesus was John the Baptist raised from the dead. But do you want to know what Herod did with that belief? We find out in Luke 13, 31. At that time, some Pharisees said to Jesus, get away from here if you want to live because Herod Antipas wants to kill you. Again, Herod believed in Jesus, but his belief wasn't based in an experience with Jesus. It was based in his preconceptions. And Herod, just like the people of Lystra, was willing to believe in mystical and supernatural things. But their belief in Jesus was shaped by their worldview rather than by Jesus himself. And as a result, Jesus became an avenging spirit or the expression of the power of the Greek pantheon of gods. They may as well have believed that he was Jesus Christ vampire hunter. But Jesus never made those claims about himself. In fact, look what Jesus said about himself in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you'd really known me, you would know who my Father is. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Because anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. According to Jesus, Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That if you see him, you have seen the Father. You have seen God. And if you want to understand who God is, what he wants, and how God interacts with the world, look at Jesus. Jesus is the revelation of God to us. He is God interpreted for us. But too often, like Herod and like the people of Lystra, we interpret who God is for ourselves based on whatever we think to be true or whatever we want to be true. And then we live according to that interpretation in ways that can end up with us ultimately rejecting Jesus's way of being in the world. And what we see in these stories are people who completely missed out on what God was doing in the world through Jesus, not because they didn't believe or un were unwilling to, but because their belief was uninformed because their belief in Jesus was rooted in their preconceptions rather than in a real experience with them. Which brings us to the one thing that we have to do if we're going to truly understand Jesus, and it's this. Let Jesus define what belief in Jesus looks like. Look, you, you have a perception of me. You may think I'm the greatest guy in the world, or you may think I'm a huge jerk. You may think I'm super smart, or you may think I'm dumb as a brick. And either way, you might be right. But until you have some actual experiences and encounters with me, you'll never know. Because I am who I am. 
But until I have the opportunity to define who I am in our relationship, you'll never really know me. All you'll have is your preconceptions. And a relationship with Jesus is no different. He's God, the creator. And just like you have the right to define who you are in your relationships, so does he. Belief is central to a life of faith, but not all belief is equal. Not all belief in God is equal. And if we're going to know him as he truly is, we have to allow him to reveal himself to us, to define who he is, and to define what belief in him really looks like. So as we close, let me ask you this. Have you allowed Jesus to define what your belief in him looks like? Does your belief in Jesus guide and direct your way of living? Or do you allow your way of living to guide what you believe about him? Is Jesus at the center of what you believe? Or does something else influence, influence what you believe about him? The journey to know and understand God, it takes a lifetime. And while I know him more today than I did five years ago, I'll understand him more five years from now than I do right now. But as long as I keep my eyes set on Jesus, on who he says he is, and as long as I allow my belief in him to be shaped by him first and by my life second, I'll continue to grow in my knowledge of him. So may we be people who always examine and test our beliefs, testing them to make sure that they measure up to Jesus or to see if they're beliefs that have been formed by our own preconceptions. May our experience with Jesus be the foundation for what we build our lives on. And may we trust him to shape our belief as our experience of life shifts and changes. And finally, may our understanding of him as the way, the truth, and the life be the cornerstone of how we live and the cornerstone of everything we believe. May we let Jesus define for us what belief in Jesus looks like as we trust him to reveal himself to us, as we look to him to reveal and define and help us understand who he is in this world. May we put aside our preconceptions. May we put aside what we've been taught about God by the world and by our culture. And may we let Jesus instead reveal to us who God is, how he wants to function in our world, and what our relationship with him is to look like. Thank you for joining me, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.